Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. All right, Bearcats fans, I'm excited to welcome in our next guest. And really, this guy doesn't need very much introductions, but I'm going to do it anyway. This former player was part of one of the most successful and popular teams in Bearcat history, current color commentator for the Bearcats basketball team. And he goes down as not only an OG, he's like the triple OGG. <laughs> I, I can't even think of how many Gs you can put. Of the Bearcat basketball program, I'd like to welcome in my guy, Terry Nelson. What up, T-Nell? Old triple OG. Man, I'm loving that intro, brother. <laughs> double OG, triple OG. Right. You're you definitely that, man. Hey, how's your uh, family doing right now? Bouncing up the walls like every other child. <laughs> yeah, know, man. You know, uh, they, they've watched more Netflix series than I would ever say in a year that you can squeeze in. They've watched it in a month. Uh, their sleep patterns are, are nocturnal now. They're sleeping upside down, hanging from bathroom poles like bats. <laughs> I mean, they, they go to bed at like 2 in the afternoon after staying up all night playing PlayStation and watching Netflix. So most like the, all the other kids, you know, I work them out. I take my kids up, my son up to, uh, you know, UC, the quarterback. So I take him up to Nippert Stadium, let him throw some passes with some of his targets just to dream a little bit. Hopefully one day he will be able to grace that field. So they're doing okay. What 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 uh, what grade is he in now? TJ is in eighth grade now. He's going into ninth grade. He attends Walnut. He's about six foot one. You know, big hands, big feet. Got a lot of work to do, but he's got some skills. Uh, and he's got uh, the heart is starting to show up. I was a little questioning, you know, because I grew up in the streets of Long Beach, and it was kind of tough, and you had to go and fight for everything. And he grew up in some of the comforts that. Our family provided some college education mm-hmm. and all that. So I was just wondering if you had that dog in them that, you know, you didn't really have to, uh, you know, light a fire. I used to call it the Jack B. Nibble experience. You didn't really have to light a fire on them. Will he do it on his own? And this off season during this lockdown, he has really, really, you know, started working out. He posted his own channel on uh, on uh, Snapchat where he's just showing all his workouts because nobody believed him. And he's posting like 200 push-ups and, wall suits hmm. and, and all kind of weight stuff and you know he's getting his passes in he's getting stronger so he's starting to accept the responsibility of the name that i provided and i'm like look whether you good or bad you're going to be talked about so you might as well put the work in so he's starting mm-hmm. to do that good man good good so glad to hear the uh the family's doing well and <clears throat> tell everybody what uh what all you're doing i know i mean you're like me man we we do a lot of different things. Like we're like Jamaican. Yeah, I'm, I'm only the <laughs> <heavy>. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I'm only no. the heavy, baby. 
one job. <laughs> one job. Yeah. So, so, so media tell me about package, all the different things you do. Yeah, so my media package, I do, uh, and it started in 93 with sports of all sorts, which I still do that. I've been doing that for, for 27 years. And that branched into calling basketball games for the Bearcats on Fox Sports Ohio. And that sort of fell into being the radio announcer once uh, Chuck Kelp began to deteriorate, Chuck Mayshock. Mm-hmm. So I took over that five years ago. And then two years ago, we started the show on Bearcats, called Bearcats Insider on Fox Sports Ohio, me and Dan. Yep. And um, then I started doing five high school games of the week on uh, Star 64, doing some sideline reporting for football. So that's kind of a different skill for me to branch out into. And and then so and then on the other side of it, I'm a realtor. So I do real estate with Remax uh, Preferred Group and uh, got some home business and essential service. So that stuff, you know, along with speaking in schools, a lot of the stuff that you do, I think we've spoken there to places before together. Yep. So it's just finding an outlet to take all of the, stuff that I'm doing, make it work together, and then package it to give it back to the youth so they can take a look at it, mix it to where they like it, and, and, it, and it makes sense to them, and then run with it. I mean, what you're doing with these podcasts is capturing the stories of all the Bearcats and hopefully fans and athletes alike can listen to it, get inspired by it, and hit their own ground. For sure. For sure. And, and listen, you know, all the things that you have done, you are doing, and will continue to do. You're such a great ambassador for the Bearcat program. And at the end of this podcast, I'm going to give you, I'm going to kind of piggyback that, what I just said, and and give you some thoughts on um, Terry Nelson, in my eyes, what you've meant to the Bearcat program. So I'm going to do that at the end of the podcast. But for right now, I really want to talk about this season. And you and I have had some conversations. We've talked on the phone. We've talked after games. We've talked a little bit about this season, but we really haven't talked about it um, as a whole. And, and T-Nell, this has to be one of the most wild seasons in, in UC history. And if you Ooh. really say it, just go go through from beginning to, I don't even know if you call it an ending, because it really didn't end. It just stopped, right? So, I mean, just from the beginning um, all the way through, I want to talk about this and get your perspective because you sit in such an interesting seat with this uh, program, Um, and I think you have some some great insight. So, kind of wrap this season up, man. Let's let's just let's just have a combo, man. Some thoughts. You know, earlier in the year, it was you and I when that when that hire first happened. You and I stood out in the forefront. For sure. And was bragging on John Brennan. And people were like, you know, everybody wanted Nick. I was one of them. And yep. lots of people were. Um, many people wanted other candidates. But once they made the choice to John Brennan, and I got a chance to do a little research on him and ask uh, around, and people were calling me and giving me some feedback and asked some couple players that played under him, I realized that this guy's going to be good. The system that he was talking about, I got a chance to talk to Trey Scott uh, right before the press conference, and he was walking in doing a workout, and he was like, Terry, this is the best thing that ever happened for me. Mm -hmm. He's going to open things up and say, I just wish, you know, guys wouldn't jump ship and they would just give him a chance. 
uh, you know, mainly mafia books. But mm-hmm. here he is. He's turned the program around. I mean, he's taken a team that was built for a walk the ball up the floor, ground and pound, um, old school, big ten basketball where, you know, you had post players, you know, you had a bunch of wing players, you're playing a matchup zone, and you're going to, you know, just make it tough and difficult for guys to score and then come down and, you know, run your offense to a wide open, spread the floor, 98% man-to-man, which is totally different, push the pace, take the first available three-point shot from those that are three-point shooters, but penetrate and kick. I mean, it was just like share the ball to see it come to fruition, to see the lineup. And here's what I loved about John, seeing how the season just broke it down into six, five, uh, five, six-game increments. And mm-hmm. so the first six games, you had Chris McNeil as your starting point guard. Mm-hmm. Great yep. defender, guy that was a hustler, did everything in practice, looked tremendous in practice. You were, you were there in the early practices, and you saw how, how he looked, and I was like, man, this guy, you know, maturity, he's a grad transfer, you know, all these other transfers, he was like, no, I grad transfer, he's at four different schools, but he's a guy that was really, really um, looking forward to putting his staff on it. Mm-hmm. And after six games, you realized that wasn't the move to make, so we got to put Micah in the starting lineup. So mm-hmm. we, we put now Coach Brian and his staff are really, really big in the analytics. So they hire analytics analytics company to break down every player and every opponent that they play, every team that they play, where they like to score from, what are their sweet spots, where they struggle from. They get all these stats and analytics. And in the process of getting all that, they get data from their own players. After a six-game sample, they look back at it and they say, well, we really start to excel when Micah is in the game as the starting point guard, and we push the ball a bit better. He's a better three-point shooter. He goes through the hole, and he's a lefty, so it gives us a different feel, a different way to run the offense, great post passer, and then off the bench, Chris is much better. Mm-hmm. After another six-game sample, uh, right after about Christmas going into the season, we realized that he realized that Jan Cumberland is – best with the ball in his hand. But mm-hmm. he doesn't move well without the ball. Uh, he's a playmaker. He likes to make plays. So, uh, you know, you couldn't put Peyton Manning at wide receiver because it just wouldn't happen. He <laughs> 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 put the ball in his hand and let him audible and get everybody in situations. He makes everybody look good. But they put the giant at the point guard and then seeing the work that, you know, Trey Scott put in. And early on, it was a Chris Bolt team. It was Chris Boteen, Jaron was hurt, didn't really understand this role, didn't know, kind of struggling with the coach. It was the Chris Boteen, you had some flashes from other guys, but it was all about the big man shooting 70-plus percent from the field, second in the country in the NCAA field goal percentage. And then all of a sudden you start to see Jaron just really start to take control at the point guard, setting guys up. He's such a great and willing passer, but you didn't understand how good he was until you put him in pick and roll situations with the ball in his hand in a spread-out floor with your five, Chris Bolt setting your high post screen so there's nobody on the block. You know, Jaron loves to go downhill. So to see mm-hmm. the adjustments in game, to see the halftime adjustments, Meech, you and I have been in halftime uh, with Huggins being down at halftime, and you know what those conversations are like. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> you, had to, you know, when we leave out, the managers are repainting the walls because he pulled all the paint off the wall with all kind of names he called it. And some of them mm. games, I guarantee you, the guy like it blames you 
for the way the guards were playing in the game, and you didn't even get in yet. Oh, for sure. <laughs> happened happened after the Xavier game. Yep. Right, right. So when you see when you see the team and you see the, the, the times that they were down, and you wonder, oh man, see, and everybody starts going into this. Man, I knew this coach wasn't the guy. I knew Nick shouldn't have left. I knew that he was going to like everybody starts talking and, and going to their thing, and all of a sudden within a four minutes of the first half, the first TV segment, media segment, by the time the 16-minute mark, whatever lead that was for the other team was vanished. Mm-hmm. And they came out looking different. So it's his ability to make adjustments based on what he saw, what his staff saw. He gets input from his staff. I say this affectionately, and you know this too about John Brain. He is a nerd, basketball nerd in the, in the, beggar, in the best sense. Mm-hmm. He couldn't tell you any movie that's out. <laughs> he couldn't tell you what's going on TV. No he doubt. He not tell you about the big game versus North Carolina and Duke and all that stuff that's going on because all he's doing is putting in work with his team, studying and finding a way with the guys that he has on his team to make them better and put them in positions to play. He, he changed. 70% of this, uh, well, let's just say this. When I asked him how much of the system that he put in, he said close to 60% because he had to dial back right about after the Iowa game. Coach Brandon sat down with his staff and said, I'm failing the team and I'm failing you guys, talking to his staff. Mm-hmm. He said, we don't have the, 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 the talent and the team to do what we've been doing in the past. So we're going to change it up. We're going to put the ball in Jared's hands. We're going to do a little bit more pick and rolls. Uh, we're going to do a little bit things to, to make this team better, and we're going to build the team once again around Jared with his hands on the ball. So his ability to make adjustments is one of the things I loved about him because, as you saw, that stretch four games in a row in overtime, three in the, in the Virgin Islands, and then four in conference play. And all those tough games for him and his staff to find a way to make it work. When mm-hmm. I say I love John, I love John because yeah. I've, I've seen him on the plane. We were on a plane, man, and the plane for Wichita State didn't show up. We were supposed to leave at um, – well, the team was supposed to leave because Dan and I caught, caught a commercial flight with a couple of managers – but the team flight was supposed to leave at 7, which normally you want to get out at 3 because of the weather. They didn't leave till 7. The plane never showed up. So they didn't get 9, and the plane never showed up. And then so finally they didn't have to leave in the morning. They showed up at Wichita State at 1 o'clock. You know, we had a 6 o'clock game. <laughs> and at 1 o'clock, they went straight to lunch. Guys went to, to um, they went to, got some, they got some eat, fell asleep. Went to the gym, had an early walkthrough when they went to the gym. Not once did I hear the coach get upset. Not once did he talk about the plane company. Not once did he threaten to fire the coach that's in charge of, of, <laughs> of putting it together. Not once did he talk anything. He was just saying, it's adversity. Let's yep. deal with it. Yep. Everything that happens, he always says, it's just another way to prove that you can overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there looking at Dan, and Dan's like, "Man, I got a man crush on this dude." I said, <laughs> and, and Terry, real quick, and, and you're so right in that the more time I think that people spend around Coach Brandon, listen to him, engage with him, they have that same 
feeling towards him. I mean, he's the right guy to lead this program moving forward. And all those things you talk about, the more people are around him, I think they feel that exact same way. Well, he's selfless. Mm-hmm. He never makes it about him. He never makes excuses. Never talks about what he doesn't have. Never yep. talks about anything negative. He's always with, okay, this is what we have. Let's come up with a plan to make this work. We don't have a, another point guard, another seven-foot shooter. We don't have a six-seven wing player that can drain from three. We don't have those right now. What do we have? Let's find out a way to win with this. And to come mm-hmm. and win the league in a, in a year where Houston – Wichita State and Memphis and all these schools were like, finally, you know, we're going to get a chance to beat UC because they've been kicking our butt for years. And all of a sudden he comes in and says, not so fast, my friend, and <laughs> and, and really establishes himself uh, and wins coach of the year in the first year. Come on, man. Yep. No question. And, and listen, there, there are two things I want to touch upon real quick. And one thing you started with, um, let's talk about Jaron. And I did an interview with Trey Scott, and Trey talked – about Jaron and what he kind of had to overcome and work through this past season. And one thing that was really disturbing to me at one point this season was it was like after the Colgate game, you know, Jaron made a mistake in the game and Jaron wasn't, you know, playing great um, every game. He, you know, he was kind of inconsistent with his play, obviously banged up, but so many of the fans really started to turn on Jaron. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it became, let's pick apart everything with Jaron. His body language is bad. He's not a good teammate. So, you know, these are fans that I'm seeing on Twitter. And I'm like, wait a minute, whoa, you weren't saying that when he was playing well. Now you want to bring all mm-hmm. these things up. And I think I think people would see Jaron, and, and they I don't think they totally understood him as a person. They said his body language was poor. He wasn't a great teammate. Now, you having the seat that you have, talk to us a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on Jaron. Well, one thing, Jim is therapy. And you know this from a player and now running a shining star organization. Mm-hmm. Jim is therapy. It's the best class. I think you should say this all the time. It's the best class that you ever take in college <laughs> because yep. you learn so much more about yourself. After True. that Colgate game, you saw Jaron coming to the gym early and staying late. He was embarrassed. He mm-hmm. read all the stuff. He saw all the stuff on Twitter. It was being sent to his inbox. People were private messaging him, sending him stuff that other people were saying. And as a true competitor Jaron was, he just sort of tucked it all in and said, okay, came to the gym early, um, and then started having these games where it wasn't so much about the scoring. It was just about – making the right play and getting guys involved. And yep. they put the ball in his hand, it just changed the way who he was because he realized he had a little Kobe Bryant on him. Remember Kobe when he used to just really didn't do much in the first half, get Paul Gasol active, get you know Shaq active, get Derek Fisher going and all that stuff. And then closing time, Kobe would go off. Mm-hmm. Same with Jordan. Jordan had, you know, seventeen points going into the fourth quarter finish with thirty three. You know, everybody knew it was it was closing time. You know, and and Jaron started to do that where he was passing, 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 and then he let everybody know the same Jaron hasn't went anywhere. I just took on a different role, but to do it, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, me, to do it with a with a, a sore heel. Yep. A heel that requires a boot every time he's not playing when he's on the road, and then when he's in practice, he's getting treatment. Now he could have been doing treatment more than he. he, he 
he could have been in the in the training room a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bob Mangine will tell you about that. He could have been a little bit more. But one thing he did is when he came on the court, he gave you what he had, and he gave it to you in a manner that anybody else with a heel injury would not be able to give you what Jaron gave you. His ability yep. to penetrate, draw, get to the hole, game winners, clutch threes, um, dropping dimes, but then the attitude. The bigger the game, the bigger Jaron became. That's just mm-hmm. that's hard to find on the college level, man, because guys get anxiety in big games and they come out airballing. I was watching the Kobe at the Lakers uh, uh you watched the game on Sunday, the Lakers Celtics game in 2010. Oh yeah, I saw and they replaying. Nobody could make it. a shot. Nobody yep. could make a shot. Everybody was so tight and tense. Defense was amazing. It was tight and tense. But Jaron was the opposite. The bigger the game, the more he was able to use his old school way of using his body, jumping <laughs> in the guys, shielding guys. The dad Scott, you know, dad Scott had him playing with grown men when he was like nine and ten. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of old man game in him. He's not can't really jump really high. You know, couldn't jump a. You know, couldn't couldn't jump really hot, but he was able to make the plays to win games, winning players. You're not going to find a lot of Jaron Cummings walking around the street. And I'm so lucky that we had him on our, uh, the University of Cincinnati. Now he's a Bearcat legend, and let's see if he can keep this going. No question, no question. And then also Trey, Trey Scott. Um, and you talked about yeah. this earlier. And I interviewed Trey Scott, man. I mean, you you just, I mean, if, if anybody embodies what it means to be a Bearcat is Trey Scott. Um, You know, just his improvement from his red shirt freshman year to his senior year, um, leadership qualities. But I I think with Trey, what what I'd like to hear from your perspective was um, playing in John Brandon's system. And you and I talked about this at the start of the season when we were at practice. You said to me, this system is going to benefit Trey Scott the most. Mm-hmm. And you know what? <laughs> that was like the biggest statement of the year. I mean, he had a tremendous season. <clears throat> so what I'm leading to is, you know, there were a stretch of games, and I told Trey this, there were a stretch of games that I think took him from being, you know, an important Bearcat in Bearcat history to it put him in a different level those four games that went into overtime and the one went mm-hmm. into double overtime, dude didn't come out the game, man. That's right. And it, and it was almost more mental than it was physical. Talk a little bit about that. If you've ever seen him, and you have, I'm just giving a general statement. If you ever seen him in practice, you know exactly what you know, you're, you're alluding to. He doesn't come out of practice. Ever since John Brennan has been the coach, he has not stepped off the practice field for any rep. He didn't step out to go get tape. He didn't step out to go get a drink of water. He didn't step out because he was tired. He did not step out. Mm-hmm. He runs down. He, he is, I call him a jealous rebounder because every ball that comes off the rim, he thinks it's his. Mm-hmm. He snatches balls out of guards' hands that got the rebound. I don't see him come over his own guy's hand or back, snatching a rebound and hand it right back to the guard. He knocked over. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then to see him, he wants to be in every play. So there's a steal, and there's a fast-break one-on-one situation. Trey, who got the rebound and made the outlet, is the second guy down now running, making sure if that ball is missed, he can follow it up for a dunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just – you don't have that kind of energy. He, he's, when you look at Trey from the beginning, when he, had, he was sitting behind Gary and Kyle and 
all those guys, and all of a sudden he started working his way up after his redshirt year. And he was getting like four minutes a game, and then the sophomore year he was getting seven minutes a game. The coach told him just to keep working. And all of a sudden he moves into the starting lineup. And then this year it starts out where it's just good. He's, you know, getting close to double-doubles and double-figure games. And he says, T. Neal, I want the defensive player of the year, and I want to average double-figure rebounds. So if you would see him come to the gym early and really embrace the shooting competitions that coach would put together. And off days, he would grab a coach or a manager and say, hey, I want to get some shots up. Can you come? So he would be in the gym, and players would be walking by. They would see him in the gym, and they would go get dressed. Uh-huh. Like he would ask some of the guys, and the guys didn't want to come. He would just put the work in, and finally guys would follow his lead because Trey never got tired. He never really yep. took off days because, to him, his therapy was in the gym. Uh-huh. So to see him come into a season where there was a lot of uncertainty and everybody wanted to see what Trey had to offer, the offense that Brandon put together, isolations in the post, isolations in the top, um, spreading the floor, giving Trey the opportunity to work on and shoot the three that he's been working on in practice and shoot it with confidence. I remember when we first were shooting it, Coach was saying, okay, Trey, that's not a steady, steady diet of it, but Trey just kept working, up, kept working at it, kept working, kept working. Then finally it became a staple of his game the second half of the season in the conference season. And it got to the point where Coach was drawing stuff up knowing that the guy he's sticking is not going to guard him on a three-point line. Yep. So Trey's hitting, knocking down threes. Trey is, you know, posting up and finding cutters and getting offensive rebounds and dunking on guys, and I mean, he's just, when you look at that, he's always in the right place at the right, even when he messes up, he'll tap his chest, raise his hand, look over at the bench and say, my fault, and then he'll go back and get the team in the huddle and apologize to him and say, that won't happen again. Mm-hmm. That kind of leadership was like Gary Clark. Yeah. Two special players that you very rarely have on any campus at one time were Bearcats. Yep. No question. And Trey said something. He said that at the end of the season, as as you guys were headed down to uh, the conference tournament and leading into the NCAA tournament, he said that he thought the team was playing its best basketball. Like yeah, of the man. entire year, the team had gelled the three practices leading into it. He says, and he said this to me, he's like, Meech, the one thing that's always going to haunt me is the fact that I thought we were ready for a run, man. He was like, I, I knew deep down inside we, we were going to do it. And mm-hmm. we, were, we were ready. And you, you flew down there to the, to the conference tourney. And by the way, you sent me that text, which was so funny. You flew into what airport? Where were we? Was that uh, Wichita? No, when you Wichita. flew – the conference tournament at the end of the year. Remember you said oh, that. Oh, I said the the the, the Meacham, Meacham Airport. <laughs> the Meacham Airport. <laughs> and I yeah, said, that you was, know I had an airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I saw, um, I saw these. I saw the work that he put in. I saw the work that the team had put in. And I would sit on the plane, and I asked, and I asked him. I said, look, you know, every year. There's a favorite. There's a couple favorites in the in the nation to win it all. Then there's a couple teams that surprise people that make a run and everybody falls in love with. Mm-hmm. And they've been pretty decent all year, but they get hot at the right time. 
And I said, Trey, why not us? And he right. said, Pinel, I feel you. I feel you. Why not us? I said, that's what I'm saying. I said, that's what I'm saying, Pinel. He said, why not us? Why not us? And then, so, you know, I watch these guys, and I'm like, you know what? Ever since they cut down the rotation to, like, eight, nine players, you're starting to get a confident Mamadou understanding what he likes. He gives you a different look when Chris Bolt comes out. Um, Lamadou to me was the missing factor because he's such a mismatch problem. He can run the floor like a deer. He can shoot the three. He can block shots. Uh, he can rebound. And he was just finding his confidence level. And so I said, oh, man, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden we get down there and we're practicing and I was going to go and watch the games that we had to buy. And uh, all of a sudden they said, well, pack your stuff. They're going to cancel the tournament. So we're, we're in the hotel getting dressed ready to go to, they were going to go to shoot around. I was going to go to watch the game, Dan and I, in the in the arena. And then all of a sudden you get a text, and we're watching on ESPN as we're getting dressed, all the conferences that are starting to cancel. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, you hear anything? No, I'm I'm rooming with uh, Andre Boucher, our sports information director. Not yet, not yet, not yet. And so all of a sudden you get a text at 11.45, hey, we're leaving at 12.30. They canceled our tournament, so pack your bags. We're like, oh, man. So packing our bags, and we're thinking, okay, we're just going to miss this. Just going to figure something out. Then they canceled the NCAA regionals, for, you know, the first four in. And before you know it, after the NBA canceled all their stuff and the NCAA began to start following suit and all these other sports start canceling their stuff, they canceled the NCAA tournament, and that was just a shock. And I was yep. just devastated for Trey and, and um, and Jared and, and Chris McNeil and all the guys that really put the work in throughout their career to have one last magical run to to so they can tell their families, tell their kids, have video footage for the rest of their lives, and they were robbed of that opportunity. Yeah, no question, and that's that's tough. And Trey, Trey and I talked about that. And the thing is, like, when I was telling Trey this, not an interview, but but uh, off the record, I was telling him, I'm like, man. I'll never forget when when Kenyon, you know, went down and he got hurt. And, you know, that was the squad, man. That was like since you guys played, Terry, that was the the one squad that everybody pointed to and said, that's the Bearcats national championship team. And when Kenyon went down, it kind of – the spirit went down and, you know, people just didn't at that point believe that team could go on and win it all. But they had an opportunity to play and at least – put forth the effort to do that. And I'm like, the, the the toughest part for you guys is you just didn't get the, the, the disappointment there. You just didn't get the opportunity to even show what you possibly could do. And this also, uh, Tina, think about like Dayton, man. I know people have talked about this, but man, Dayton may never have another team like that. That right. elite level player, like you know, and, and Coach Grant was player, uh, coach of the year. You got player of the year. They won't even have the opportunity to, to win or lose the game. That's tough, man. Yeah, that is tough. I mean, you put in the work. I mean, if, if you if you if you were just a fan, you'd be disappointed that you didn't have a chance to see your team compete. But if you're an athlete and you work up to a point. Like all football players work up in the NFL, work up to the Super Bowl, the playoffs in the Super Bowl, because they all think they can win it. If they get into the playoffs, they think they can win it. If you get into the NCAA tournament, why not you? There's an opportunity. Yep. You may be outgunned, outclassed, but there's still, you still got, they, the other team has to beat you. So there's still a chance. There wasn't even a chance for this team. 
And yep. it's just, I mean, I would love to see what Coach Brandon was like with this team in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see the adjustments. Um, Jaron has always been a big game player, especially in tournament situations along with Trey. So I'd like to see the complementary pieces, a new system, a new coach that believed in them to, to where they were, you know, an offensive-minded team that was great defensively, as he would like to say, a defensive-minded team that's great offensively. But just to see that kind of team and that style of play going to the tournament and it was taken from them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which which leads me into this, you know, let's talk about the future of Bearcat basketball um, from a, just a, a standpoint of type of recruits Coach Brandon has coming in, um, style of play. What do you look for in the future of Bearcat basketball? Well, you're going to see a lot of shooters, a lot of taller players. Um, you know, you got the speedy point guard coming in. You got the Madsen brothers, and you got uh, whose name eludes me right now, the three A player of the year in Washington to replace Trey. And you still got a couple of positions that are still open, uh, two at least, two roster spots. So whether you see grad transfers, whether you mm-hmm. see another guy that's being plucked that didn't commit yet, the, the problem is with the COVID nineteen and everything being shut down, it's hard to evaluate. As you know, your season right now, AAU season, is not something that. You're going to be able to get a chance to take a look at guys. You used to be able to go to Vegas or all these tournaments everywhere and see a collection of players all at once, go to the camps yep. and all that stuff. And so it's just kind of hard. you got to go off of the videotape and not necessarily the improvement that they made since they've last seen the videotape. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be difficult to recruit. But I like the guys that they have bringing in. So going forward, you're going to see a lot of 3 and D players, a lot of guys that can – Absolutely long balling. I mean, Coach loves three-point shooting. He likes yep. guys that can step out of the up the bus and knock them down, and he likes speedy point guards that collapses the defense to kick it out to those three-point shooters. Having the Madsen twins, they're you know six foot six, six foot seven, taller three-point shooters. They're going to get stronger as they get here under in the in the in the muscle factory, monster factory, as uh, Traco Payne dad dad did here. Put some muscle on. 20 pounds of muscle, get stronger, then you're going to have, uh, you know, like Javon Cumberland had a hard time getting a shot off against tight defense because he's six feet. Mm-hmm. Well, at six foot seven, you're going to get that shot off. The, the tight, contested shot, you're going to get off. So having guys that can that are taller, that can shoot, that are physically stronger. When I look at the Houston guards, all of their guards were 15 to 20 pounds heavier than our guards. Yep. And we need some strong guards. We need guards that can bowl their way through tight defense. You know, guys reaching in, half-hearted defense, man-and-a-half defense. Bust through those and be able to get layups or under traffic, put it up at the rim so our rebounders can grab it and dunk it in or penetrate to kick it out. So we got four down. We need a couple more. And I'd like to have some experience down low, maybe another shot blocker or somebody that can finish around the rim that can dunk. And, and finish things with dunks, some leapers. I mean, we need some leapers. But more importantly, the way Brandon likes to play, you're going to need another rim protector, and you're going to need some more shooting because he wants lights out. Mm-hmm. And so the guys that are coming here, if you're a three-point shooter, ball handler, or a guy, if you're just a baller that loves to play the game and likes to be in position to win based on the skill set that you have and a coach who will design a game plan for you to be successful with your skill set, the Bearcats in Cincinnati is the place for you to be. No question. No question. So the transfer portal, 
Let's talk about that real quick. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. the last number, but the last time I looked, it was like at like 525. There were 525. right? God. <laughs> that is unbelievable. So just think about this. <clears throat> think about, okay, you're the head coach, Terry Nelson, of a, of a team, and your season ends. It used to be, okay, let's get out. We've got to hit the recruiting trail. We've got to look at the recruiting board. Who do we need at this position, blah, blah, blah. Well, now the first thing that these coaches have to do, they have to re-recruit their own players. That's the first thing they have to do, keep those guys yeah. from jumping in the transfer portal. Yeah. And that's, that's tough. It sure is. And I tell you, the guys that are going to lose out in the initial wave of that are the Juco players. You know, me, A.D., Corey, Nick, Eric Martin, all Juco players, Ruben Patterson. These guys, when you wanted the quick fix and you had a veteran team, you go to the junior college All-American and bring them in. Yeah, you want a quick fix, you go to the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. And you look and see what's out there. There's some guys that are going to be in there that were recruited by you that chose another school. And you can, and our coaches think, oh, he just went to the wrong situation. I know how to coach him. Let me bring them in. So you hit it in the head. You don't have to re-recruit your own players. The thing that makes Cincinnati a little unique and that makes some of the other schools a little unique, I'll just speak on Cincinnati, is that there's so much to offer with the Bearcats. There's so much with the training, with the availability of the athletes to have access to the gym whenever they want it to work on their game, to have a sports complex that's centered right in the middle of our campus community with the soccer, with the with basketball, with football, the tennis courts, like this whole sports community of college uh, students and athletes that sort of hang out under the um, the guise and umbrella of this Bearcat family. I mean, you find so many things. Mamadou is a star on Cincinnati campus. No question. <laughs> he is so funny. He, he He's funny on the Internet. He posts a lot of stuff. But you see him <laughs> with common people. When I was mm-hmm. an athlete, you only hung around the other athletes. You hung around mm-hmm. football players. It was like a fraternity. Mm-hmm. But now, with the community the way it is, like students have access to athletes. They just hang out with them and, and play frisbee and do just, just different things that makes the community so awesome. Pulling into that transport portal, finding people that are looking for a home but that place didn't fit, and hopefully they can get some of those waivers passed so they can transfer because if the coach can leave without having to sit out a year, and if the player leaves, and if it gets approved by the university that let him leave, it should be approved by the university that's receiving him, and they shouldn't have to sit out because it shouldn't punish the player for sitting out because they're not getting paid. Right. The, the coaches can leave, and they don't have to sit out. They can leave right before the season. Mm-hmm. Or after the season, as soon as the regular season's over, does the NCAA tournament game, some of them aren't even waiting for the NCAA tournament game. They're, they're, they're taking an opportunity, and they're taking off. Right. So. Yeah. I just believe the transfer portal can be good if you're the one choosing from it. It can be bad if you're like Wichita State, where half of your roster wow. put their name into the transfer portal. Six Cra- players from State. <laughs> that's crazy. That's tough. And if you look at it, that's got to be a tough situation for Wichita State. Because if you've got that many guys jumping into the transfer portal and you're out recruiting kids, kids right. are going, wait a minute. Why would I want to go? Right? Why would I want to go there? That's a 
you got to say it somehow. I mean, if I'm Greg Marshall, I'm like, you know what? Those guys probably had a different opportunity somewhere else, and I have playing time. So <laughs> I yep. got tons of playing time. You come right here, you have an opportunity to get not only playing time, but be in the starting lineup. So yep. I'm supposed to find a way to spin it and, and <laughs> sort of just bless those that left. And sort of, and, you know, somebody's going to fill that spot. Yep. Why not you? <laughs> And let's talk about Keith Williams. Um, you know, Keith Williams, obviously, he's each year um, he's gotten better. He's added another part to his game. Uh, you and I talked about his the transformation of his jump shot. Um, and, and this year, just I, I think it was maybe the South Florida game where he just completely took over. It was the Keith Williams show, and he shows you glimpses of what he's capable of doing next year, potentially a, a player of the year in the conference. And then he decides he, he wants to go test the waters. Uh, thoughts on that? Sad part is, I don't know how he's going to test the waters because they're not holding any draft workouts. Um, and it's going to be kind of hard to, to see. There's a lot of guys that are putting their name in the hat. I love Keith's game. I love the maturation. I love where he's come from. Uh, he put the work in this offseason, changing his jump shot from a sideways rotation to a prototypical jump shot where he – you know, he gets lift, and, and the mm-hmm. difference between him and Jaron is when Jaron goes to the hole, he's banking you and using his body to jump into you to get in one. But you know, a lot of times it'll get blocked at the rim, or you know, he'll miss the shot because he's so busy about trying to get the contact. Whereas Keith, when Keith goes to the hole, he's jumping over you, right, he's finishing right. over seven footers, he's dunking on people, um, and he's got that look at New York. Look, where when he dunks on you, he ain't jumping up and down, acting all you know crazy, and he's looking at you like, do it again, <laughs> right. Right. again, and see if you don't get the same like toughness. To see him shooting a jump shot, to see him the ability to um, attack the basket, his ball handling is going to get better. He's got to get better at that. He's got to get some more pull up game, which he showcased some of that last year. So going and trying to get those workouts to see what they want you to work on, how to come off screens, how to use pick and rolls, how to fade and, and, and use that screen and read the screen in order to get your shot off. A lot of that stuff comes with Brandon and the way he teaches, which is an NBA-style uh, system, which I think Keith benefits from. I think you'll have more NBA players coming out of Cincinnati over the next 10 years than we've had coming out in the last 20 years. Wow. Hugs had it going. He had nine NBA players coming. I think Nick had three. Um, and I think Brandon will have, I think he'll have more than that, almost double because mm-hmm. of the system and the maturity and how he coaches guys and the freedom that they get and how he wants to average 80, 90 points a game, the freedom to score, block shots, exciting play. He's pumping his fist for the crowd. He's imploring it. He's accessible. I just think with the, the way that we train in the weight room and the Bearcats, the new arena, and the excitement that we have as a community and all the people like yourself that are building a brand around Cincinnati basketball to help promote the university, help promote basketball, all this stuff is something that will benefit athletes going forward. And if they're willing to put the work in, then Cincinnati is the spot. Well said. <laughs> Definitely well said. So do you think Keith returns? I think he returns. I, I just don't think he's – I think he wants to go just like Jaron did last year, figure out what they want, you know, and then come back and work on it. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what they want if you don't, you know, take that peek. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I don't think 
he says he's going to hire an agent, but I don't think this is the year you hire an agent with all this uncertainty. You don't want to put your name out there, and the NBA season is either shortened because they're talking about playoffs. They're never going to get no playoffs, and, and training camp may even be pushed back some. And the NFL may be pushed back some. I mean, we don't know the, the certainty of this. This is not the time to come out because it's fear-based. Saying, mm-hmm. I better do it now since I don't have anything going on. My mom needs money. My dad needs money. I'm going to come out. No. Yes, his dad needs money. His family needs money. And most inner-city kids are in that situation. But if they needed it all your life, one more year won't, won't make a difference. Right. So That's go right. back, mature yourself, learn about uh, investing, learn about budgeting, not just your, your classwork. Go talk to some people, meet with some people that are money managers, and, and talk to you a little bit about the game. You know, meet with Corey Blunt and all these guys that, that went to the league and, and talk to Van Exel and talk to other NBA players and pick their brain, DeMar Johnson, and all these guys, pick their brain about how to handle myself, how should my circle be, what should I be doing to work on my game right now, uh, where should I be going, what should I be eating, like all these things, nutrition and finances, because you got so many guys who never had anything, and the minute they get money, the first thing they're doing is flossing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they got to go get the whip, they got to get the gold chain, yep. they got to get the teeth, they got to get the tattoos, they got to spend all this <laughs> money on stuff that means nothing. <laughs> yep, no doubt. Terry Nelson for president. All you said I agree <laughs> with. I'll be your VP. Come on now. I'm, I'm with you, man. We're, we're running. We're running that next ticket, all right? Man, I got, I got something for the virus, too, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so I want to get into some story times. One of the, I think one of the great things that you do is you tell great stories. And um, I always tell people when when doing a podcast, it's always great to have people that can really um, paint a picture, but make you really see all the colors. And you Ooh. do a fantastic job of that. So I want to jump Ooh, into some stories. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, jump into some stories, um, and, and you've transitioned into. You know, doing um, broadcasting, do a great job with that. But along with broadcasting, you're sitting in a very unique seat, and you've seen a lot. Is there one story from your broadcasting career that you'd like to tell? Oh, man, absolutely. Uh, This was two years ago in the conference championship. We're playing Houston, Gary Clark's senior year. Um, We had beat Houston. And we're uh, in the regular season. Here we are in the conference championship. And we're playing Houston again. And it's, I mean, they had Gray, who was a point guard. He was the explosive scorer. Yep. Gary Clark, at this point, had won, you know, humanitarian of the year, defensive player of the year, like all these awards. He swept, like, every award in the conference. Mm-hmm. And so we're playing this game, and, and I'm like, damn, this is going to be one of those we're calling the conference championship. Like, I'm I'm still kind of in awe that I'm in a position to call a conference championship game. And I'm like, man, this is, this is what Bearcat basketball is all about. And the first half is underway, and all of a sudden Dan starts to talk, and he starts to clear his, <clears throat> you know, he cleared his voice, taking a swig of water in between uh, calls, and his voice is starting to get faint. So I reach into my bag, and I pull out just, I think I had one or two, um, cough drops, and he's talking, and he's losing his voice, and I'm joking. I'm like, partner, you, you know, because we joke back and forth in the broadcast. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you sound like you lose your voice there, you know, you know just tongue in cheek. And he goes, man, I hope not. And he's like, he started to get weaker and weaker. So finally, and he got up to halftime. And at halftime, his voice was completely gone. So I'm looking over at Bob Mangine on the bench. And I'm waving over at Bob Mangine. And Bob is looking at me and, like, turning around, like, who are you talking to? And I'm like, you, get over here. And I'm pointing at my throat and I'm pointing at Dan. And so he says, oh, he grabs a handful of cough drops and boat lozenges and comes over and sits him down with Dan. And Dan goes um, to the bathroom and gargles and puts some salt water and all this stuff. And he comes back and he starts whispering to me right next to him. He goes, you're going to have to take the second half. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> now, let me, let, me get this, let me remind you, when, when you are doing – studying for basketball, the play-by-play guy got to know everything. Uh-huh. The vet, yeah, he sets it up. He's got to know backstory. He's got to know every player that's on the floor, the numbers and all that stuff, like bottom of your hand, back of your hand. Well, as a color analyst, you don't have to do half of that. you got to know some stories. you got to uh-huh. know some stats. And you got to be able to translate what Dan just described into something that will make you remember it and really capture that moment. And so now I'm going to switch roles. And I'm sitting over here, and so Dan is writing down on a piece of paper for me what to say. So I'm sitting over here, (laughs) and I'm calling my first game in a conference championship. Now let me backtrack a little bit. When I grew up in Long Beach, California, I grew up with the Twins and Snoop Dogg and Warren G and all them. And being the twins and Warren G and Nate Dogg and all that, we used to play basketball mm-hmm. on these junior high courts. And I was bigger than all of them, so they would never let me play. And so the twins would be like, Pam, why don't you get a pencil and act like Chick Hearns and commentate? So I would give everybody a nickname, and they would play full court, and I'd be on the sideline, running up and down the sideline, commentating. Oh, mm-hmm. I would be like, uh, you know, Magic Yo-Yo's up and down, but no, let Pastor James Webby slam dunk. I would act <laughs> like I was Chick Hearns. Right. So here I am now. I got this deja vu feeling. I'm calling the game, and I'm calling the game, and I'm describing it, and Dan's writing down saying, 16 or 4 to go in the game. And so I, I, I have to read whatever whatever he's saying. I'm reading it, and I have to say it. And he goes, second time on so-and-so. This team has been on the um, uh, Houston Heston scored in two minutes and eight seconds of the second half. Like, I mean, he's writing all this stuff down. He's passing to me. And I must say, I have 50 notes, man. He's passing to me. I'm taking a look at it, going to the side. He's passing to me, taking a look at phone to the side. He's doing research for me, and he's being my research assistant while I'm trying to call the game. He'd be like, third foul on, on, on Gary Clark, you know, teams in the bonus. And I repeat that, and I give my own spin. I start talking about the game, talking about Gary. And while I'm trying to buy some time talking about Gary and all what's going on in the game, he's writing stuff down. So I'm trying to fill time because you can't see it on the radio. Oh, yeah. And I'm trying to fill time and talk while I'm looking at him. And he's writing something down, and as I take a look at it, I'm like, okay, he's passing it to me. And then all of a sudden, we're at the eight-minute mark. And I said, um, Dan, I'm going to try to take this down to the four-minute mark. you got to do what you got to do because you have to close this out. I said, this is your show, and you deserve to make this call. So if you can, make, if you can somehow get that voice to working, it's your call to make. He goes, okay, we're going to try to get it there. And so we're, <laughs> the game's going inside the eight-minute mark, and 
And I'd be like, slam dunk by Gary Clark. And then he would come in at, uh, every once in a while and say, uh, 605 to go in the game. The Bearcats up by six. And then he would point at me like, keep going. Mm-hmm. And so I would keep going. He'd take a drink, put me in the car, jump in. And then he would say, 502 to go in the game. And Bearcats call a timeout. And he'd point at me. And then I would take it to break. And then at four-minute mark, he came back and he goes, I think I can take it from here. So I'm sitting over there, and he is, like, whispering still, but his voice is kind of cracking. He's coming back. And it was a classic game where it comes down to the last-second play. Gary Clark grabs the rebound, puts it up in the air with one hand as the teammates mobbed him. And in a broken voice, he gives the final call, and then he points at me to paint the picture. And I'm sitting over there like, this has got to be the best moment I've ever had in my life. He made the final call. And he, he, he wrapped it up. And then he looked at me like, okay, go ahead. I'm sitting over there. I'm like, unbelievable. So now I start going into the, the, the maturation of Gary Clark from a freshman all the way until that moment. Mm. And it took like three minutes for me to paint that picture as the, you know, the Bearcats are celebrating on the floor. They're bringing all the people out to do the award ceremony. And Dan is still writing stuff down. And he's giving me a little winding sound like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking, and he gave me three minutes to just pour some love on Gary Clark in that, at the end of that game and Nick Cronin and the Bearcats to wrap it up. And I'm starting to get all these, like, it was people tweeting me and, and inboxing me and all this stuff. Saying, That's the best game we ever heard. That was so awesome. I'm sitting <laughs> over there, like, I'm, I'm thinking it was a dumpster fire, but people loved it. Yeah. And it really it showed me that, you know, not just the Bearcats, but Dan's willingness and unselfishness to instead of just saying, okay, my throat's hurting, but to sit over there and, and make sure that I was successful by doing the research, sending me notes, making sure I was on top of it, and it went off like a, without a hitch. And mm-hmm. every time I see him, I said, Dan, has that ever happened to you after the game? Has that ever happened to you before? He goes, man, like nine years ago, I was calling a minor league baseball game. <laughs> He said, it happened to me in a baseball game. I'm like, normally at a minor league baseball game, you don't have a, a, a guy next to you. It's just all you. Oh, wow. So he lost his voice, and it was nobody else to make that call. So he had to whisper the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the yin-yang clamp, the whisper. Right, ball. right. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. And you know what? And, and I remember that game. I remember that situation. And But that's where – I think T that's where you shine because you're good with improv. You're good. You're good with thinking on the fly, having things to say. And then at the end with the situation with Gary Clark, like you doing a summation of, you know, his career, like that's you right there. Like that's your time to shine. Right. That's, right. that's that plays right into your skill set. So I'm sure that was a, that was a great opportunity for you. It's awesome, man. I, 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 to this day, I think back every time I go to Dan's and we're doing a broadcast and he coughs on the air, I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. I, I, I grab my, I grab my, I always put the, the cough drop out in front of us now. I'm like, scoot it over to him. He's pushing it back, like, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm like, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> That's funny. That's good stuff. All right, so the, uh, obviously you played on you know, two of the most successful and popular teams ever in the history of Bearcat basketball. And, 
you know, we've heard so many, so many stories about those seasons. Um, and, and the Bearcat fans really love the behind-the-scenes stuff, the stuff they don't get to see on TV, uh, read about, um, but sometimes former players or coaches tell a story, and the fans just eat that out. They love that stuff. So is there a story from that Final Four season or the Elite Eight season that maybe we've never heard? Oh, man. Well, let me see. It's been so many of them. <laughs> but I remember um, we were going into that Final Four year. We were 7-0. and We were going to Michigan State to play at Michigan State. It was a home game, sort of a back-home game for Anthony Buford. Anthony wanted to show up. Anthony's having a good game. He scored like 19 points in the or 17 points in the first half, somewhere around there. And he mm-hmm. was just balling. They had Sean Resford, um, oh, yeah. the Mountain Man, Corey Calden, Pia County. I mean, just a big dude. And so we had a 17 point lead or whatever, and they ended up coming back and winning that game. And we missed aside the buzzer. Anthony missed aside the buzzer that would have won the game for us. And so we come back to practice. And so. Hoss comes in with his glasses on. You know what that means, right? Uh-oh. It's <laughs> been a long night. <laughs> he was yep. up all night. He had, had a couple of extra ones, a couple of cold ones. He's been telling stories. He's been watching films. He's been replaying the game over and over in his head. And so he didn't get much sleep. He's tired. And because he's type A, if he didn't get the, the sleep required, he's now irritable. But he wore contact. So he was irritable. So he comes into the gym. And we're like, oh, here he goes. You know, this one of them games when we first lost, everybody was in the gym early because you knew what kind of practice we were going to have. So everybody was in there shooting around, sweating. He comes in there, and he goes, he got some changes to the starting lineup. And so Jeff Scott looks at him and says, yeah, Coach, I, I want to come off the bench. He goes, you damn right you're coming off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you are a starting center. You're seven foot. You got one rebound. <laughs> Tim might be coming off the bench. <laughs> Corey, it's your job to start. And then it was uh, he put Eric Martin in the starting lineup. Actually, Corey was starting. He put Eric Martin in the starting lineup. Um, and so Eric's having one of the final four year. Eric was Eric Martin was uh, Bob Huggins' punching bag. Mm-hmm. He just kept attacking Eric, and Eric it was miserable. You know, Eric was one of those guys that he just can't talk to him any kind of way. He's gonna talk back. You know, he's strong willed. Mm-hmm. And so he's having a bad practice. And Hugs is like, you know what, Eric? At this. I don't have to sit over there and listen to some guy that won't get his butt back on the on back five and rebound. He said, you know what? Terry, you go red. Eric, you go black. Terry, it's your job to lose. I have my best practice. <laughs> I'm taking charges every time. I'm swinging the ball. We 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 doing all kinds of stuff, and we ain't having a good time in practice. So Hugs comes out and says, because we're, we're about to play South Florida. They had a six-foot guard by the name of Radinko Dobras. He was, mm-hmm. he was bad, you know. And so he was going to be the leading scorer for that team, and we're going to play on ESPN. And I was like, I'm not about to get embarrassed because they were the 24th ranked team in the country. I am not about to get embarrassed by these guys. We are the worst team in the country at, you know, he always gives you the, we're the worst in the country at dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot, whatever it is. Yep. He used to always tell us we're the worst team at catching the ball in the high post. The Virgil Robinson would catch it every time because he's an effing man, and you guys are some boys. And then so he was like, you know, you guys are the worst team at taking charges. In fact, I'm going to – you guys are on the baseline. I'm going to sit out here, 
I'm going to take the first charge. I'm going to show you guys what to do. And if you guys ain't take charge in the game, you're not playing. All right, who wants to run me over? Eric said, I do, and Eric ran out the half court. <laughs> <laughs> Eric <laughs> runs the half court, and we throw him the ball. And so Corey and everybody's going to laugh, and they're backing up. They're like, uh-oh, this is going to be funny. So he goes, all right, Eric. Eric starts taking out. He goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me give you a rule. He says, I want you to dribble. When you get to the free throw line, I want you to you know, take your two steps like you're going. I'm going to slide under you, take the charge, and I'm going to get up, and you guys and then, you know, you guys are next. Eric starts dribbling the ball, full speed, picked the ball up at the three-point line like he was a running back. Started <laughs> <laughs> running full speed, man. He hit hugs so hard. He didn't even try to slide up. He didn't try to shoot. He didn't try to do nothing. He just ran hugs over, man. He hit it so hard in the chest. Hugs rolls always back. His feet rolls over his head. You know how, like, Shaq falls, and he always rolls over. Looking all Hugs falls back and rolls all the way over. And, he, and so everybody's like, oh, damn. You, you okay? You okay, Hugs? <laughs> I got balls. That's why I'm all right. He goes, all right, finger rolls. And he said, Tom, Tom's got to turn it. Tom, get over here. So <laughs> with Tom, Tom's got the stethoscope out and start checking his heart and monitor. And he couldn't breathe. <laughs> Eric hit him hard. He goes, I'm going to get you back in some bitch. I could totally see that. And that's so, that's so funny that, that he is now his assistant. Yes. Yes. Because he, he knows. There's different personalities for different people. And Hugs tests you because he, he knows there's something in inside of you that can only be uh, brought out through adversity. So he's mm-hmm. got to create those Jack B. Nimble experiences. You've been in practice mm-hmm. where he didn't think you guys were going hard or, or going hard enough or wasn't focused, and he ups the ante a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, the next person that does this, we're going to run 20 suicides. The next person, he goes, try me. And, you know, you tried him one time, and you got a free, and everybody got a line, you had to run. Well, he does it a lot. He did a lot to Eric. And it really made a man out of Eric. It got to the point where we played Memphis. Memphis had no answers for Eric every time he played him because Hugs, every time he played Memphis, Hugs would challenge Eric and say, oh, man, Memphis is going to be kicking your ass every time you get up and down there. You're so damn soft. Every time you miss the whistle. I mean, he beat the silver and called him all kinds of names. And Eric would come out and have these great games because Hugs knew how to, to poke the bear a little bit, and after the game, he acted like he never said anything. Got his arm yep. around you, hey, where we got, where we want to eat? You know, like he was one of the sellers. Yep. I'm like, man, you didn't curse me out on national TV, <laughs> man. What are you talking about? Where we eat? Yep. That, that was hugs, man. Got to love him. That's a, that's a great story. And I've never heard that one, but I could totally see him on the sidelines getting his blood pressure <laughs> taken. You <laughs> made it that's, hard, man. That's good stuff, man. Hey, now, I'd like to do quick questions, quick answers with you. I do it with everybody at the end of the podcast. You ready? Yes, really. All right, quick questions, quick answers with Terry Nelson. So the first question I have here, you know, Terry, back in the day, um, and you still are, but you wanted to be a comedian. Um, you're great at you know, telling jokes. If you could open up for one comedian, who's the one comedian you would dream to open up for? Wow. Um, good gosh. 
probably Eddie Murphy. Ah, yes. Yes, yes. In his My day, favorite. What he did, yep. yeah, Eddie Murphy. Yep. My favorite right there. All right. If you could have had, besides yourself, if you could have had one Bearcat player's career, that's not yours, which Bearcat career and player would you have liked to have had? Gary Clark. Ooh, why is that? Because he embodied everything that you want in the Bearcat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked hard. He, he added to his game. He was just a rebounder and a defender when he got there. He turned into a three-point threat. He was in hospital visiting sick people. He was meeting with children and inspiring them to have cancer. Um, he was just the guy that, and we was on the road, Dan and I was on the road, and he would have a family that he knew, and he'd be out having dinner with them, you know, having a glass of wine, sitting down, having a mature conversation with uh, a husband, a wife, and their two kids on the road. I'm like, this guy is like, he's different. He would be in the training room every day. Whether he was hurt or not, he just embraced the process. He goes, I'm not hurt. I just don't want to be hurt. I want to be prevented. <laughs> prevent injury. Right. Right. So, yeah, if I, if I can trade careers, I'd be the guy. Yeah, no question. One time I hit up Gary, and he, at the time he's playing for the uh, Orlando Magic, and I hit up Gary, and I said, hey, man, my, my family lives in Gainesville, Florida. My brother, nephews, and all that want to come to, um, to the Magic game. Would you mind meeting up with them after? So, he got them all VIP passes after, met with them, talked to them for 20, 30 minutes. My brother was yep. like, that dude did not even know me, the kids. He was just as nice as could be, man. Just Real deal. Real deal. All right, next question. All right, this person could be dead or alive that you pick. Give me one person that you would love to sit down with and talk to and ask questions to. One person could be dead or alive. One person, dead or alive. That was Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Yes. I would love to sit and chop it up with him because I know I'm going to get a real answer from him. I want to know not just politics, but what journey did he have to take, some of the questions, um, some of the identity issues that he may or may not have had growing up. I didn't have a father growing up. He wasn't necessarily tight with his father, but it all made the story. When you're in politics, everything gets uncovered. Everything gets brought out. But I would just like to sit down with him and Michelle and just sit and be a fly on the wall with a panel of questions. With Brock, you can only ask one question. He'll give you an hour-long answer. <laughs> right. So I'd just be like, hey, take the floor, and I'd love to have my kids sitting right there with me so mm-hmm. they can see what's coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Great answer. All right, two more for you. Is there one talent, one talent you have that would surprise people to know? What's that one talent? That I'm an excellent writer. Mm. Yeah, I love to write. I have a book right now on Amazon called Catfish's Treasure. Yep. And... I'm working on another book as a sort of a companion to that, sort of a spinoff, but I love to write. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I was going into my senior year, and my counselor, I went to go see her during the summertime to get my classes for the season, for the year. And she said, all right, you're being recruited by colleges. Um, You're ready to go to college. You have most of your classes done. You need some electives. 
I want to get you in a creative writing class. I said, yeah, because my handwriting is terrible. And she looked at me and started laughing so hard. And she said, well, not only that, <laughs> this is not a calligraphy class. <laughs> this is going to teach you how to uh, shape your thoughts and put them in the words so that you can be not only help you as a thinker and as a speaker, but it's going to help you in your writing. And I was like, oh, it's so, so small. But going into that class, we would sit down, and the teacher, believe it or not, his name was Mr. Hands, Greg Hands, who was a creative writing teacher. And for the first five minutes, he would give us a blank piece of paper, and he said, write down everything that's on your mind. I don't want to don't worry about punctuation, don't worry about spelling or grammar. Just write everything on your mind. I'll write down first five minutes. I mean, this is stupid. I'm starving. Ate nothing. You know, we had lunch at 10.30. Here it is, 2.30. I'm hungry. I'm, you know, I'm mad. I'm, I'm writing everything down I can. And then a buzzer would go off, and he would say, okay, everybody. He'd grab the trash can. He would hold it. And he'd say, crumble it up and shoot it in. So everybody shoot it in. And then he would give us another piece of paper with, like, 10 words, a girl, this name, a job, or whatever. He said, create a story out of this. You got to get 30 minutes. And I would always have the most written. Mm-hmm. That people would have a paragraph. I would have almost a page and a half, two pages in the 30 minutes because I would easily see the words and they would easily convert to me into a story. Mm-hmm. And I would tell stories. And he said, when, I, when the class was over, he said, Terry, you have a gift. So make sure you nurture it. And you nurture it by reading more stuff and then practicing your creativity by writing. Mm-hmm. So I've always held on to that. So that's what people will be shocked about. Good, good stuff, man. All right, last question I have for you. If you were playing in today's game, all right, let's say you played in this 2019-2020 mm-hmm. college basketball season, and you were playing against the Bearcats, how many charges would you have taken against Jaron Cumberland? Fifteen. Jaron will follow. Hey, I can see – Listen, I have thought this many times when I'm watching the game. I said, man, Terry Nelson will be eating this dude up, just stepping yeah, in from, from weak side boot charge. We're in the day and age of penetrate and pitch. Now, uh-huh. when I played Meech, they didn't have a circle mm-hmm. in the middle of the floor. I'm like, come on, this is so easy. If you get your feet outside the circle and the guy runs you over, automatic charge. Now, you don't get the sports center highlight like the block shot. You can bump your chest. Everybody give you five. They take the ball back out, knock down a three. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. charge, they pick up a foul. You get the ball. And in the state, back in the day when I played against Memphis, I did it in the conference championship against uh, Penny Hardaway. I got two free throws to steal the game. So I took the charge, he got the foul, and I stealed the game. A charge can turn you into a star, but people don't like it because it ain't sexy. There's no stats for it. Like, you can't come and say how many how many blocks I have. I have three blocks. How many charges? Now, I don't know. We didn't keep them. Yep. They don't, they don't keep charge stats. But if for a guy that's non-athletic, like I was, for a guy that needs a role to fill to be a great defensive player, if you take the charge, you can be a starter on the final four team. Mm-hmm. Yep. No question. And and that's a great segue to this. Like I said at the start of the podcast. I want to end it with this. And I want Bearcat fans to make sure they understand this. Um, you are such an important part to not only, I think, the history of UC basketball, but I think the University of Cincinnati's athletic department. 
and and there are a couple different things. So obviously your playing career played on one of the most successful, popular um, groups, teams. Um, the capacity that you've served after you've finished playing, you've always given back to the university. You've always been that OG, triple OG to former players. Um, I would text you and say, hey, T-Nell, let's meet up and go to practice. We'd meet up, we'd chop it up, we would talk, and you would take – 30 minutes after practice mentoring those players, current players, talking to them. You are very generous with your time, always been a great friend to me, um, a great ambassador for the University of Cincinnati, period. So I think, you know, as, as a lot of times people talk about the greats at UC, obviously Oscar, Kenyon, um, Nick, such a decorated player. But in my opinion, for all that you've done, T, you are right there in the conversation with all of them. And they get a lot of that because of what they accomplished on the court. But I think if you put the whole package together, you, 33 should be in the rafters just from all oh, the man. things that you've done. And I, and I mean that. And, and, I, and I, I hope you understand that. And I hope Bearcat fans also understand that. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, I just do the role that I'm given and try to make the best out of the role. As a defender, I tried to make the best out of that role, and I got into the starting lineup, and we actually I was just a, a complimentary piece on a team full of stars that went to the Final Four. As an ambassador for the Bearcats, look, I love the University of Cincinnati. It has given me everything. I've given my life to this university, and in return, the university has given me back a platform to reach people that I probably wouldn't be able to reach mm-hmm. if I wasn't a radio guy, TV guy. John Popovich got me in the media first. But the university, the brand that was built there with the university and then being a C-club director and running the athletic alumni for four years, that stuff has just really elevated the profile that was given to me. I just mm-hmm. took advantage of it. And, and so I'm looking for you know, the next <clears throat> Terry Nelson's mentor, whether it be Kevin Johnson or whoever, you made a name for yourself. We're always looking, trying to dig deep. Great leadership is trying to replace yourself. Mm. And eventually, I'm not going to be in this job. I'm not going to be in this role. And so somebody's got to be ready to step in, whether it's here or somewhere else. If I can help anybody with anything they need, they can always ask me. And if I can't do it personally, I guarantee you I know somebody I can connect you with. Mm-hmm. And, T. Now, that's why you are the triple, triple, triple Oh, gee. <laughs> right there, man. Hey, this is uh, this has been great, man, just going through this past season, uh, telling stories. Um, this has been great, man. Bearcat fans will really enjoy this. So uh, I appreciate you coming on, T, and we need to do this more often. Uh, I'm going to continue the podcast for as long as uh, people want to listen. And when we get into the season, uh, maybe we can do it a couple more times. Appreciate you, brother. Always keep grinding, keep building your brand, and keep making a difference in the lives of youth. Because you do an awesome job yourself. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate that so much. All right, T man. Hey, appreciate you coming on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast, and we'll catch up soon. Okay. Yes, sir, brother. Take care. All right, brother. take care. Bye. Right. 
I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at Big Meach 41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.